This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and we are back again for a new episode. This one is with Scott Waldman. Scott is a manager at Waldman Management for a bunch of bands. He also has producers at Rolling Artists. He's A&R at Legend Recordings and also hosts the show on Adobe, Waldman's Words. I wanted to talk to him to get to know some of his thoughts on new music business and all the different fields he has his toes in. He's also a musician, so he has a unique perspective on how it feels to be on both sides of all of these different things. So I think we have a really cool chat about a lot of different things that covers a wide, wide span. So I'm really excited about this. Before we get started, I want to remind you my new book, Processing Creativity, is out in all formats, ebook, audiobook, and regular book. If you enjoy this conversation, I guarantee you will enjoy that as well. I keep forgetting to plug that the 2017 edition of Get More Fans is out now as well with over 125 updated pages. So you can check that out as well. If you enjoy this conversation, we have links to Scott's stuff on our show notes. I encourage you to go get to know him better after this. Check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out. And please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So somebody has no clue about the music business. How do you explain what you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, basically, I work with a series of artists and producers to try to advance their careers. So in regards to managing artists, uh, regardless of whether they're starting from square one or have had a major label deal and are working to restructure, I'm the consigliere. Mm. I advised to the best of my ability. And at the end of the day, an artist manager is serving the artist as best as they can. So I'm technically their employee. Mm -hmm. I throw them a basketball and it's up to them to either slam dunk it or literally put a pin in it and fuck it up. 
<laughs> that's what I that's what I do, or that's what I try to do. There's only so much I can do. Just like you as a producer, if you're working with a band like Man Overboard, they bring the songs to the table. Your job is to either arrange the songs or record them to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. and bring them to the best possible spotlight and bring out the best in your artist. So that's what I am. I guess I'm a spotlight director. Gotcha. I like that. So tell me about how you got here today. Tell me about what you've done and then the hats you've had. I moved to Los Angeles when I graduated with my English degree from the University of Michigan, which totally has nothing to do with playing bass or guitar, but <laughs> that's how, that's actually how it helps me. Yeah. You know what though? Like honestly, whatever path gets you to pursuing your passion, I approve. Mm-hmm. So as long as it doesn't involve, you know, espousing hatred or murdering people in cold blood. <laughs> so I moved here. I knew two people, none of which were involved in the music industry or music and auditioned for a bunch of bands, combined forces with two of them. Uh, we were called the City Drive. And within a year and three months of moving to L.A., and it's still ridiculous to say, we signed with uh, We The People, which was a subsidiary of Columbia Records, which is mm-hmm. part of Sony. So I did that for a while, recorded a record, recorded an EP, played some amazing shows, quit that band, started two others, Lido Beach and Greenlight Theory, worked at a law firm for five and a half years, and quit said firm about a month after I started an artist management company. And mm-hmm. what got me to this call with you, this is take two, um, I was driving from a meeting, and Skype doesn't work very well on the road, so <laughs> this is take two, so hopefully second is the best. <laughs> yes. So hopefully. far, so good. So, you do all that. Uh, what behaviors, habits, attitudes has contributed to you getting to where you are today? Honesty. Mm. We. I live in Los Angeles, and there's so much smoke being blown up people's asses, and... I honestly, I I never strive to make an enemy. I think that that's a bad look when you're a troll in real life. But I would rather someone not like me for me being honest than someone love me for feeding them bullshit. I really, really try. I don't, I mean, it's not like an effort. Like I try to be honest. Like I try to go to bed every night knowing that regardless of whether it was a good or bad day, because in music, there's honestly more days days that are bad than good ones. I'll be straightforward with you. But one email that's awesome can make all 45 shitty ones nullified. But I digress. I want to go to bed every night knowing that I'm the best possible husband and the best possible person in general with all my relationships, with my friends, with my um, my clients, and with you know colleagues. So I, I, I think it's the honesty thing. I think that that go- literally does go a long way. Those cliches are there for a reason. So I think that's what's helped me. And I started doing artist management, you know, kind of late in the game because I I believe I was either, yeah, I was 34 years old or just Mm. about to turn 34. And I think why I'm definitely not an A-list manager. Hopefully I will be one day. But I think what got me to this podcast, which is Mm. so fucking flattering, was the fact that, you know, I really hustled as a musician for Mm -hmm. so many years before. And so people in the industry already knew, some of them already knew who I was because of that. And that's how I was able to get clients quickly. And that's how I was able to schedule meetings quickly because of that. So that was it. Nice. Honesty and muscle. Two H's. So, so I want to drill down on two of those things before we move forward. So, so first off, the, the L.A. thing. So it's funny, like the girl I'm dating is in L.A. for the first time. And she literally calls me this morning like, oh. 
people are so fucking fake. I'm like, yeah, I, li- I lived there for a while. I know. I, I know the gig. Um, so why go to L.A. if everybody's fake and you're honest? I don't think everybody's fake. I, th- I just think most people, most is 50.0001% or more. Gotcha. Um, why go to L.A.? Um, I'd say the three hubs uh, for the music industry are L.A., New York City, and Nashville. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, you could be from Jersey. You could be from Chicago. You could be you could be from Anchorage, Alaska and succeed. But the amount of meetings that I could go on because it's a very network friendly industry. It's a face, you know, become quote unquote homies with someone or become homies with someone business. You're more likely to stack yourselves with meetings and meeting influential people, meeting tastemakers in a city like Los Angeles, where there's so many people on the record industry so many producers here, as you know. And so uh, as far as the scene for bands, though, I mean, I don't think LA has been a scene for bands since like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses, to be <laughs> honest with you. But when I moved to LA, it's it's funny. It's because anytime I left somewhere, it was cool. <laughs> like I left Long Island and then Brand New and Glassjaw, Taking Back Sunday and Movie Life took off. And I'm like, great, of course, I fucking leave. And boom. <laughs> and then I left Ann Arbor where I went to school for four years. And then the White Stripes blow up and Detroit's cool. So That's I'm funny. sure as soon as I leave L.A., which hopefully won't be for a while because we just got a place, it'll get a scene again. So I guess the key to finding a place with a scene is is as soon as Scott moves. <laughs> it is funny. Somebody was saying, like, ever since that book, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, came out about, like, when New York finally got bands again, that, like, you know, the, that in the next few years, that's got to happen for L.A. at this point. Got to happen. <laughs> yeah, there's no scene. But, I mean, you're, so is your girlfriend or your wife? I'm not sure. Uh, girl, g- girlfriend. Okay, so your girlfriend um, is right. She's going to be dealing with a lot of, hey, mm-hmm. and then, right, this, like, whispering i hate you like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff whereas in new york it's as you know it's like if i don't like songs it's, it's fuck you man yeah, yeah it's like, no. I don't like so okay so the other thing you mentioned in here is that there's more bad things than good things i think that this is something so many people starting out have trouble with is like i often talk about that like you are the biggest winner in the music business if like three things somebody talks to you about come true out of like seven what do you have to say to people about how you get through that whole thing of there's a lot of shit that you have to deal with and that that's part of the game uh well you need to have good coping skills Mm. and i don't know i mean it's just as simple as talking about Every single person, regardless of whether they know anything about art or music or entertainment, knows that being an actor is tough. Mm -hmm. And it's a business of rejection. So apply that to music and realize that you're going to get a hell of a lot more no's or even a hell of a lot more no responses than yeses. And you need to be able to deal with that. And that's why when I first started managing artists, I would literally tell them about every email I sent and every submission, then I was just like, no, that's a fucking awful idea. Because you're you're just, I, I only like to tell them about certain submissions and only like yeses or, you know, I guess potentials. Because, I mean, I send out a lot of emails and, and, and we touched upon this briefly in, in the one that I fucked up before, but I, it's a huge pet peeve of mine when artist managers go on Facebook and post pictures outside of labels with the elevator picture mm-hmm. or things that they're going on meetings for because chances are the meeting's not going to work out yes. the way that they want it to. And chances are, even if you sign a deal with 
label X, Y, or Z, they might not even put your record out. So I guess just how, how do you cope with it? Some people drown themselves with alcohol. <laughs> Some people, I, I mean, I can tell you, I, I have no shame in this. I have a therapist, mm-hmm. but I also developed a thick skin, which I guess a lot of people who pursue songwriting, which is was my first love, you need a thick skin. Totally. Honestly, it's just like, I am very, very empathetic towards people who are dealing with rejection, but I'm also realistic. And it's just like, suck it the fuck up and move on because you're not going to get anywhere cowering in a corner and bitching about it. Because while you're bitching about it, someone else is sucking it up and powering forward. Okay, so you work with a bunch of producers, a bunch of artists. You used to be an artist and performer. Mm -hmm. What impresses you and what do you like to see in somebody that's going to make you go, I want to work with this person? Well... I want someone who is self-sufficient. I want someone who's reliable. And I want someone who has quality product. Mm-hmm. I cannot manage anyone that I'm not 100% about. Because let's just say, you know, you're a producer. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I had a band called Jesse and the Cannons who coincidentally wanted to work with Jesse Cannon, right? So Jesse and the Cannons, I manage this band. And, you know... Because there's a lot of artist managers that manage people as a favor to someone else. And that's so fucking stupid. So I manage this band and I'm less than A plus about it. And I'm on the phone with Jesse. I'm like, yeah, there's this band I work with called Jesse and the Cannons. And you're hearing in my voice that I'm doing this out of obligation. You're not going to fucking want to work with this band. Mm -hmm. You're not. So I have to be, I have to be a fan. I have to treat this band that I'm working with like I did with, a band like Jimmy Eat World or a band like Silverchair, who when I heard one of their records, uh, I needed to scour for every other one that they released or if they didn't, like, because like I got exposed to Jimmy Eat World when Stag Prevails came out. Mm-hmm. Like I needed to f- buy clarity before it came out. I needed to buy everything. And for Silverchair, I was this punk rock kid in high school who's like, fuck this band, man. They're kids and they're signed and I'm not. Fuck them. <laughs> but then someone showed me neon ballroom and that changed my game. Mm-hmm. So I was, I had to buy everything else. I need to be an obsessive fan. I need to want to own everything they have. I need to like, I don't want to be like fanboy with them to the point where I'm constantly kissing their ass, but I do want to be obsessed with their music. So I need to be their ambassador. And I, if, if I'm a fan of Jesse and the cannons, I'm like, yo, Jesse, man, Jesse and the cannons are writing really, really cutting edge music. They're great. I want to get you in the room with them. You would be way more apt to, want to work with them if you hear sincere passion on my side i think that's true you know it's, it's funny i can remember talking to ben from dillinger escape plan and asking him why he thinks it's a good idea for him to manage his own band and this was kind of what he said is like he's like no one can sell dillinger better than i sell dillinger and i know everything that's good about us and i know all the things and i'm a good salesman and when he first said it i kind of looked at him because we're old friends and i was like hmm Mm, I don't know. And then over the years, that stuck with me, and I realized he was right. And I think that that's a really important thing that's under-discussed. You know the band Silverstein, right? Their drummer, Paul. Paul manages them. And I saw them at Warped recently, and I've never seen a bigger... I saw them at Warped in Pomona, and I actually played Warped Tour with my band, The City Drive, in 2006, and Silverstein was on the main stage. And more people were... And that was when they were like at their peak in terms of size, or so I thought. But there were more people watching Silverstein at Warped in Pomona than like most bands, and they were not on the main stage. So hmm. Paul's doing something right. That's interesting. It's funny also because when you said, said the Jesse and the Cans thing, I thought of when Silverstein talked to Steve Evitz because Steve Evitz's real last name is Silverstein, and I was thinking of this scenario. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's a weird, well, it's a weird Inception thing happening just now. 
I don't know why you're talking about the most Jewish names ever with <laughs> Ben Weinbaum and uh, <laughs> Silverstein and Scott Waldman. We need to make this less Israel right now and then talk about others. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, well... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I had a bar mitzvah. I'll talk about it. Whatever you want. <laughs> well, I one kid. It's, it's, the odds are there that you had a bar mitzvah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say the odds are not against me. Yes. Thank you, Zing. Okay, so, but you talked about reliability. Yes. How do you test that reliability in a band before you work with them? Well, when I first started, I happened to have already a connection with every single band that I managed. Mm. I was either a friend or a friend of a friend, so that litmus test was there. Now, now I'm definitely in a, a different position where I have a bigger workload and I have more clout. Again, I'm not an A-list manager, but I have more mm. clout now than I did then. So how I test it, it's I can't reveal all my tricks, mm. but I can say that if I schedule something with you, because I live and die by my calendar, as you can tell, mm. like I, during, during our minimal interactions, I live and die by it. I'm ride or die for my calendar. If you showcase to me, because I want a band, if they're courting me, to treat me, like I like to treat every meeting the same, where if I'm meeting with you know someone who wants to talk to me about artist management, who's looking for a kind of mentor, or if I'm meeting with Irving Azoff, mm. I want to treat each meeting the same. So if you tell, if I schedule a phone call with you for 1230 Pacific time tomorrow and you botch it, how the fuck can I trust you to do anything else? And I really, reliability is important. And obviously the test is if, if I really love the songs. And now in terms of working with people, you're a producer. Mm. So I'm going to interview you for a second. Isn't it a lot more fruitful for you to produce bands that you can vibe with as people? Y y you know, this is an interesting one is that... Oh, please contradict me. I hope uh, you do. I, I, so this is a really interesting thing. So when I was younger, I used I, there was literally a band I didn't vibe with that I would work with. Like literally maybe one out of... 400 but a lot of them now that i'm i mean i'm about to be 40 i don't mm -hmm. have much of a vibe with but what sometimes that's let that's me do is really not care at all about our future interactions and get something better out of them and there's times i look back on my career where i was too polite because i wanted to not fuck up the hang and the friendship okay and the like running into each other for beer so I do have a little bit of a, a, a thing, but I do also see your point that it's good to vibe. Cause I see your the, point, the, too, the, though. I guess if you will, I say vibe that I understand where they're coming from. I understand the music they make. Like, you know, here's an interesting thing. I can't produce bands. I can't produce bands that are super, super angry anymore because I'm not angry. So if we want to talk about vibe on that level, yes, it's very important. If your record is going to be screaming metal and you're going to be yelling about your betrayals, I'm not going to understand how to make that emotionally work. Are you going to be able to work with Dillinger or Limp Bizkit again then? <laughs> Don't see that in my future, actually. Wow. Well, you know what? Some people, you know... When you're at a certain point, you know what you like and you know what you don't like. I understand what you're saying because I'm not going to name drop any producers that I hear are absolute terrors with bands, but mm -hmm. produce the best product. But, you know, sometimes it's better to be clinical about that. But you know what? Then then I'm, I'm going to own my truth and you can own your truth as yeah. an artist manager. Mm -hmm. I want to vibe with them because you know when you're producing a band when the project is done you're definitely not talking to them seven days a week mm -hmm. you're talking to them sometimes and potentially working with them again but i talk to my clients all the time i have to put my phone on airplane mode so i can be a good husband mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, as an artist manager and right now obviously well not obviously i have my own show mm -hmm. on adobe 
Mm-hmm. And the majority of the people I have on the show are people I've had a connection with beforehand. So mm-hmm. those shows are a little better. And obviously, no, you can be on the show too, Justin. Nice, nice. So, yeah, I know a guy. So, mm-hmm. um, um, again, I think I'm at um, three ums and a bunch of sardonic ones. I really, really, really as a litmus test for a band, if if you showcase me any red flags in the beginning, w- one and done, dude. I'm sorry. Mm. There's so many other people making music. And if it's it's kind of like handing someone a resume with a shit stain. Yes. So that's so what, it. So what are some of the red flags? Oh, my God. Well, like the unreliability, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't, well, speaking of the fictional word, if you cannot write an email in a, w- coherently with actual proper sentence structure mm-hmm. that really turns me off. And I know that that might be frowned upon with some people, but I'm telling you, you need to be able to communicate with the written word. So I don't need a stenographer and a translator. Mm-hmm. That's thing. Number one in that regard, um, red flags over promising and under delivering is a huge, mm. huge deal. I would, that's, I actually had a piece published this week in uh, mine equals blown, mm-hmm. which is another notable mm-hmm. or semi-notable thing mm-hmm. and i i had the top 10 ways that music musicians are self-destructive destructive because obviously sometimes that self-destructive behavior creates incredible art mm-hmm. but when it is a hindrance that's that's where we have a problem so that's a big pet peeve of mine and also if if i do a little digging and I don't do like digging like a private investigator, but if I do digging and I see any homophobic, Mm -hmm. xenophobic, sexist, racist, the worst things ever, I can't work with you. I mean, you're already digging your own personal grave. And obviously, as we mentioned before, at least 33 times I was raised Jewish. (laughs) I would not be stoked on any of that. So nice. Um, So, I guess like, one of the things that I, I do think about, too, that I think you make a good point about, like, the email, though, is, like, I, I, I think people don't discuss functionality as being a thing. And, like, there is a, a level of functionality a, a band dash, at least somebody in the band needs to be, like, I've managed some a band that had a few people who were not very functional, but the one person who was super high-functioning made up for the rest of them that they could mm-hmm. write the email and the thing. And I guess that is the thing, is that you need somebody who can at least get the um, gang of insufficient personalities to steer the ship forward. Yep. <laughs> They're uh, in a band. If it's a solo act, if there's no functionality, you're doomed to fail. That's in, a really good point. In a band, thank you. I try to give you at least three where you go, ah, this guy's not as dumb as he looks. <laughs> no, um, I can tell you that you know, I mean, there's a, I, I play bass in a band, mm-hmm. and the negative stereotypes about bassists could fill the walls of the Great Wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in a band of four people, this is this is the analogy I came up with. And as long as there's one person who is beyond sufficient at this, then I could have a relationship with him, and he could filter it to the others, and if the others will help. So this is the analogy I came up with, and I'd love your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. So I walk into a room, Jesse and the Cannons, right? Mm -hmm. Four-piece band. I am wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm going to keep giving your company shout out. So Transit. Mm -hmm. I walk into the room wearing a Transit shirt. The singer, rhythm, guitar player looks at my shirt and goes, oh, by the way, and all four of these members can read. (laughs) All of them can. Despite what you think about musicians, they can read. Mm -hmm. And they can process information. So they look at my shirt, and the singer, rhythm guitarist goes, oh, sick transit shirt. 
the uh, lead guitarist looks at my shirt and goes, oh, sick Pennywise shirt. Mm -hmm. The bassist looks at my shirt and says, you're wearing a shirt? And the drummer looks at my shirt while he's taking a shit in the corner of the room <laughs> and says nothing. Mm -hmm. That's what managing a band is like. Yes, yes, I'm with you on this. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so you talked about how you have to love the band and be their ambassador. Uh, what happens if they take a direction that you don't like? Musical or personal? Either one. Why don't we do uh, both? Let's do, let's, let's do both. Okay, let's go personal. If if it's getting to the point where the cons outweigh the pros, mm. I'm not going to get any specific, but I don't work with everyone that I always have worked with. Mm -hmm. I have parted ways on my own, and I've been let go. Mm -hmm. Just the nature of the beast. Yes. If someone that you work with, and I'm not trying to be political about this, be straight up, I just don't want to give any of them shout outs because that's A, unprofessional, and B, douchey. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that personally, if I'm working with a band and it's just gotten to the point where I am literally dreading talking to them or I'm just not happy with them as people, I don't care if they're as big as Metallica. I can't work with them. Mm -hmm. I just can't. So I'll say that. As far as the musical direction, I encourage artists to grow and like, I will never tell someone how to write a song. I will just reinforce that much like your recent book, <laughs> I'll reinforce to make true art and to write what speaks to them. So I've worked with some artists where some of their material I'm less than stoked on than their other material, but I see it as something that they're really sincerely into. And I see that they are still capable of writing material I'm into I'm going to have their back because I guarantee you, like, let's just say, um, Brian Epstein worked with the Beatles for a little bit. I can pretty much guarantee that he wasn't into every single one of their albums, especially when they got a little bit more experimental, mm -hmm. but he saw that they were into it. He saw commercial viability and he worked with it. So personal, um, by Felicia, <laughs> uh, creation if you're really fucking into it and i know that and i don't hate it i'm just less into it than I, than your other stuff i'll, I'll back you hmm. gotcha okay so let's get into a little bit more of uh the business today what are artists missing the boat on today like what is something you're shocked everybody isn't seeing today in the business oh my god okay i am just so shocked that people release everything that they record on their iphone I am just shocked that how much subpar recordings, I mean, I earn my, most of my living managing producers mm -hmm. and I am just so shocked that they listen to this stuff much like the people on American Idol who they lampoon, who audition and it's like so clear that they're shitty. I am shocked that people will post their stuff as bangers that honestly, like the recording sounds literally like we recorded it over a Skype session. So, so I am. Hi, I'm going to just take one second to tell you about something that if you're listening to this podcast, you will probably be interested in. Noise Creators put out a book called The 30 Minute Guide to Getting More Fans. It's by me, Jesse Cannon. I wrote a book called Get More Fans, the DIY Guide to the New Music Business. That's been one of the best selling books on how to build a fan base for your band. That book is really long and detailed. What we decided to do, though, is make a smaller version of that book that you can read in under 30 minutes that tells you all about how you can build a fan base for your band. I'm sure you've noticed there's been far too many people popping up in your Facebook news feed slinging information on how to build a fan base for a subscription or $100 or something. But Noise Creators was founded because we saw the potential to make the music world a better place. 
When I started writing about the music business over eight years ago, I always wanted to just teach all the bands that I thought had potential how to do this because I saw too many bands not build themselves up that I thought were the world should hear. So this book has all that knowledge that I learned building fan bases for bands, producing and working in the music business for years. I managed a bunch of successful bands in the past, and this is how I got them to be more than a band that just their hometown knew about. So if you head over to noisecreators.com under the more tab that says ebook, you can get it there for free. All you have to do is enter your email address or your Twitter address. So, so, so oh, let's, 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 let's get this out. straight. You're saying like some people just have no standards for quality or that some artists will release really high quality stuff and then also think it's a great idea to release their iPhone demo. Both. Both. Interesting. I, I think that for it regards to recording quality, there's a difference between lo-fi and shitty. Mm-hmm. I agree. And some of the the most lo-fi records of all time probably cost a lot more <laughs> than the hi-fi ones, believe it or not. It's kind of mm. like the people with the really elegantly disheveled bedhead. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's glossy, but it's lo-fi. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we are in a business right now where people are buying less and less and people are spending less and less and recording budgets are less and less. And I get that because it's so easy to record, but just because it's easy to record does not mean that a demo should be the finished product. I think that there are plenty of people who are very adept with their laptops and recording. There are some, mm -hmm. but the majority of you are not. I'm telling you this right now. I highly recommend, much like the saying goes about having um, anyone who has themselves for a client, like in the legal field, is a mm -hmm. fool. Yes. As a fool for a client. I much recommend, and, and, and therapy, it's great to go to your friends, it's great to go to your family when you have problems, but it's best to go to an unbiased source who literally has either a master's or a doctorate in this field. Hmm. So I really highly recommend to put your best foot forward, less is more, and be way more discerning. Huh. And what was the second part of that? Well, I mean, it, it, we'll stay on this for a second, because it is interesting. So do I, you agree with me? Well, I, want, I hope you do. I, so I have like two sides to this coin now is that like, I think there's two, like, it's kind of like how in the rap world, there's like this separation of like, what's canon is that like, you know, um, when you say it's a mixtape, it's not, don't judge this as an album. I'm not making a big artistic statement. I'm just putting out some songs, you know, Drake makes a playlist. No, not an album. Don't judge it as a main part of my work. I'm starting to wonder if how much content we have to make, if there's part of it that there's like. I'm feeding my fans who are maintaining an addiction, and then here's my outwardly facing things for new people to see. So, like, I think about with DistroKid, how amazing it is that for $20 a year, you could literally release unlimited songs. So, to me, I'm often like, fuck, if, like, the live recording sounds good, like, it doesn't hurt much to just put that out on, on Spotify and say live record. Sure, it clogs up the feed a little bit, sure, but, like, for when you have a fan base that's rabid, like, let's say you have those 10,000 monthly listeners who are racking up an in-proportional amount of plays. Like, I, I think of, like... I think that this applies more to new artists, though. And yeah, I think this applies, well, li there's a big difference between a live recording and a studio recording or a quote unquote studio recording, but keep going. I, th I think that a lot of fans are satisfied with hearing. So I think about how I am for the 1975, we, even when they put out a pretty subpar shot, a cover, I'm still pretty psyched because it's just Matt Healy singing and I could listen to him sing the phone book. 
I think there's the thing that for the stands, people should take more advantage of putting this out. But I think that at the same time, what they should do is be uh, more discerning of what they promote and actually put out as their big statements and as their canon, as their main thing. I will also say this. Most people don't want to hear a pop punk song's iPhone demo. So this goes, I think, a little bit more for some of the more creative genres. Okay. I agree and don't agree with you. I understand that there are super fans, but I don't think... I think that when a band starts out, no one's their super fan but their girlfriend or boyfriend. Yes. So I think it's a bad look to intro yourself to the world with subpar. Now, if you're a band yes. like the 1975 who can sell out Madison Square Garden anytime they want, which is so wild to me mm -hmm. still, they can do that because that's just goodies for the band. Where, you know, like, like Rise Against, for example, they released a a record of B-sides, Long Forgotten, and they can do that. But I don't think that a band that Jesse and Scott start right now should. Yes. I, I, I'm going to own that. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that the new band should do it. I think I'm more with you, more on the, you hit the 10,000 monthly listeners to 30,000 monthly listeners. You should start thinking about that. Maybe you feed the fans some lower level content sometimes to keep them excited. I think that lower level content could be videos of them doing it. Yes. That's way different than a song on Spotify or a song on iTunes or new song. It's like, hey, here's a new idea. Look at that. I think that that would be a way smarter way to do it. Uh, but if you're a band like U2, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. So, uh, release something from Bono's bathtub in Belize. I don't <laughs> care. They can do it. There will be people who will chomp at the bit for it. Uh, okay, so we were talking originally, though, about what people are doing uh, wrong or in the music business. How about what somebody is doing right? What are you inspired by that somebody is doing today? Ooh, I like positive questions, just like you don't want to work with angry bands anymore. Doing right? Uh, I guess maintaining your own personal integrity. When I listen to a song and I know that it's not a hit chaser, I know it's just... I mean, even if it is in the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus format, I know that every single word and every single beat and every single chord and every single bass note is intentional. Mm. Or if it's improvised, it works. And it's sincere. Sincerity is my biggest thing. So... I'm with you there. So, so, so who's inspiring you in that way? I'm. Should I give my own client shout out? Sure, 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 I sure, talk sure. To you. Okay. Okay. I one of my very first clients. His name is Zach James, and he is in a band now called Boomtown Crooks. And the dude, even if I didn't know him and I heard his voice on recordings, I'd want to hang out with him. When I listen to a recording, and I want to hang out with a person. When I listen, when I read an interview when I listen to a podcast and I want to meet them. Cause you know, one of the big ex expressions is never meet your idols. So yes. now, but if I'm listening or if I'm reading an interview of the lead singer of Jesse and the Cannons, my favorite Ricky Martin cover band in the world, <laughs> I, and I just think he's down. That's a big thing for me. The likability. Cause I think in personal expression, like, music and songwriting sincerity is ultimately actually what truly sells yes. and it also sells me as a fan so I, that's there 
Yeah, I, I, I like sincerity as a word. I, I often use authenticity, but I think you might be a little bit more right that uh, there's um, the sincerity might take the word up a notch. Well, I have a BA in English, as you can, <laughs> so I am a human thesaurus. <laughs> well, 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 well done on that. How about in business technique and marketing? Is there anything you're seeing people doing that you're really impressed with right now that you think everybody should be doing? Everybody should never do the same thing of everything. So what I think that someone should be doing in terms of marketing your product is having a fucking plan. Mm. Don't be like Donald Trump on the shitter. And I know that that's how he sends his tweets. Yes. The first thing that comes to mind. I, I think that when announcing a tour, announcing a show, debuting a song, selling a t-shirt, anything that you announce, it's kind of like when... The performance as a musician starts literally the second you get to the venue from whether you're in the parking lot or you're out front with your hazards on or wherever you're playing. The second you get there, it starts. The second you could potentially run into someone working there or a fan or a potential fan, it starts there. And it ends when you are in your vehicle or your Uber or whatever heading home. That's when it ends. So when you're making an announcement, when Jesse and the Cannons is making an announcement that they're playing Toad's Place, mm -hmm. have a plan for when you're going to do it and have ducks in a row so that it has the highest outreach. Because once it's announced, it's dead. Once mm -hmm. you release a song, it's dead. It's on to the next announcement. So really, really, really... Plan is not a dirty four-letter word, and I should fucking trademark that. I just came mm -hmm. up with it. Nice. Uh, so what does planning look like? Do you agree? I, Do you I, agree I, with that? I mean, I, I'm lucky enough, uh, one of the people I live with is a manager of some good bands, and um, ah. and we were talking about this last night. It's like, you know, the thing that I try to say to scare to every artist is nobody ever sits there and goes, you know, it was really good after we made that amazing piece of art that we didn't plan much and everything worked out. All you ever do is sit around and regret that you didn't plan more and figure out more ways to take advantage of that big thing you did. And as somebody who just put out a book that I worked on for four years, all my regrets is is I could have planned some things better and now I'm trying to compensate for that because luckily with books you can promote them for about 18 months instead of the nine months before people think you're crazy mm -hmm. with uh, music. So It's dead when it's out, man. I mean, obviously you can promote uh, different facets. I, I, I'm going to own this. I'm going to say that like as far, because I can tell you my band got dropped mm -hmm. because the first week sales were pretty shit and well, they were just not happy so my big thing is always that any new artist's biggest sales week when they actually break from that record is usually around month nine sometimes mm -hmm. four and a half month four and a half but really time and time again when you see a band have a game-changing record the biggest sales are around that area and like weezer's blue album which sure. didn't sell well its first week and I, then... I mean i remember going to buy that the first week it came out and having to go to three record stores and no one knew about it and sweater song wasn't doing well and then finally Buddy Holly hits. It's yep. that thing, though, that, like, it's not even always just the Guns N' Roses thing where, like, it's just ignored for a long time and then becomes the longest-selling record. It's like Phoenix, when they broke, the first single did great, but it just took a while before it was actually in the Billboard Top 200. I think there's Booty this... and the Blowfish, dude. Cracker oh, yeah. Review. Yes, good, good point. So many records and it didn't do well, but unfortunately in 2017, a lot of labels, and I'm not saying every single one, Mm -hmm. But if the first single does not hit, bye-bye. 
Sure, but I think there is stuff to do outside the label, or if we're thinking about DIY artists, where that okay. it's my thing with planning now is that like why set up an album for a six week plan when you should really be thinking about what you're going to do for nine months and keep you know I, I have a big thing about like kind of the Don Draper Peggy Olson relationship where he's like no Peggy twenty five more ideas you're staying here all night it's like if you my wife just got let go from her job in advertising so you just you just <laughs> pinched a nerve <laughs> no, sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> it's okay it's okay unintentional listen all my all my daddy issues are my dad being an advertising executive so i i understand but uh it's a more volatile industry than music and i'll go on record and say that i i i don't think i'm going to disagree with you on that one but but my, my point being this three i know long... i know your point but keep going keep going I'm, i like the draper I like when people talk about a show that I'm not that into. We could talk about that. <laughs> um, three all-nighters of coming up with ideas to sustain your records promotion and thinking of ways that you keep people staying interested in that. Those three all-nighters are not all-nighters you'll regret of putting thought towards. And I do, I am with you that you, it is an absolute problem today that the second you announce it's kind of dead but then it is your job to remind people sustain it well remind people to keep talking about that the one way it's not dead is if i'm still listening to that record you know like i think of it this way is like turnover has a new record as of two weeks i'm still talking about the old one and converting people to it to this day because they remind me of it and like i started listening to the record again because they were promoting the next record and there's a thing that you can, can remind I people my to though What's that? Can I qualify my? I want to qualify my statement. Please do. Um, it's it's dead in terms of being new. Yes. You can still sustain it. Mm -hmm. You can still discuss it. Obviously, like I, I'm still talking about the Blue Album right now that came out in 1994 when I had my bar mitzvah. (laughs) So I'm gonna still talk about that record. I'm gonna still talk about Dookie. Yes. I'm gonna still talk about things that are more contemporary that didn't come out this year. Yes. Like Roswell Kid. I love Roswell Kid. That album did not come out today. So I, I, I see what you're saying. So there's a greater point with what you're saying too, is that so here's the other thing is like that announcement. So let's that say that's a stream on a big site. You get that Brooklyn Vegan stream, but like let's say instead you didn't really reach out, you didn't do a good job, and you get stream uh, on my shit blog with a hundred followers. That's when it's dead and it's over, and that's a really big point. People don't often they settle for just like oh well we got something sure I guess instead of like keeping on pushing on and maybe doing a better setup so that you have a better stream for the first week when it comes out and everything and you had a bigger hype because you did a better planning and mm-hmm. I think to that point your saying is very good. Well, thank you. I, I suppose I get a B minus for what I'm saying, so I'll own uh, that. Which at Michigan is still passing. Well, I, I think it's also just that um, most good ideas need qualifications, and uh, mm-hmm. the problem is, is no one discusses these qualifications anymore, and just, we let platitudes be platitudes. Um, well, there are schools for production, mm-hmm. and but obviously, regardless of what school you go to, uh, it's ultimately your quality of work, but there's really no way to learn how to be an artist manager, man. Mm-hmm. I read books, it's all about doing, failing, and realizing that you're failing, and doing your best to not fail again. So let, 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 let's close this up by talking about two of your other jobs. Um, so We're almost I'm, done. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Why another record label in the world? I think that there's no artist development mm. with labels. I'm very upset about this. And it goes with the first week sales. Boom. Okay. Sorry. We tried. 
or not even sorry, or not even we tried. It's <laughs> peace. And so I really wanted to. I've always been interested in A&R. I think it's actually the most coveted gig in music because you're the tastemaker. You're the one who it's, it's quote unquote glamorous. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about it. And the opportunity came to me by Chris who started legend recordings. Shout out to him and shout out to Kristen, who's also senior A&R. And he happens to work with a lot more heavy bands than I do. Mm-hmm. And of the three bands on the roster, shaping the legacy is very heavy. Go ask Alice is heavy. Not as heavy as Shaping Legacy, but heavy. And Christopher Beggars is more acoustic indie. I said to him, I only want to sign two bands because I don't have the bandwidth to really. Because mm-hmm. in essence, I'm going to be pretty much their manager yes. unless they you know, have a manager. And then I'll just be a different kind of manager as A&R. So I only mm-hmm. have the bandwidth for two. And I'm not going to sign anyone that's heavy. I want, if we're going to do this label, I don't want to be something that is just unisex, you know? So I said I'm going to be looking for stuff that I really, really am a fanboy of, but it's not going to be the heavy world. So what? Why does the band? Why is another label relevant? You know, labels aren't for everyone. Dispatch doesn't need a label. Mm-hmm. Macklemore didn't need a label. They do okay, but a good A and R person and a good label can do wonders. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully I'll be one of those. I can't tell you whether I am yet because I haven't signed any bands, but (laughs) hopefully I'll have one soon. There's one that I'm very actively courting and we'll see how that goes. And I am not going to say who they are, but I really like them. Very smart. Uh, What interests you in a producer to make you want to work with them? Ooh. Well, uh, the first thing right now, because we have a whole bunch, is no direct competition within our roster. Ah, that's interesting. So talk more about that so people so people well, understand. Okay, so let's let's talk about Jesse Cannon. What mm. a lot of people would know about you would be bands like Man Overboard and Transit, correct? Mm. Yeah, it's sharp. I mean, that's one thing. That's how yes. I knew who you are. Yes. So I guess I just quantified myself to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So what Scott Waldman knows about you, obviously, I did name drop Dillinger and Limp Bizkit, so mm-hmm. I did a little bit of research. <laughs> but let's just but Man Overboard and Transit would be the two that I would have known, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be, I guess, lumped into the pop punk emo warp tour world, right? Yes. Okay. So if I managed you, I would not want to have another person who is in that world. I would want to find someone else in the, the Coachella world mm-hmm. or in the electric Daisy Carnival world or in the stagecoach world or in the Lollapalooza world. So I really am trying this. And maybe eventually, if we become really big and really successful and we're really happy and we bring on more and more people, then I would have someone else in that world if they're in a different city or in a different Mm -hmm. coast. But right now, that's our number one thing that we look for even before even listening to someone. If if that is that. And obviously, we need to sonically be fans of what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I was a musician first with... Sea Drive, Lido Beach, which I just resurrected, mm. and Greenlight Theory. And I would want to, if it's something that has guitars and rocks, I would want it to be someone that I would want to work with. So there's that. And then the vibe call. Producers are typically more stable than artists and musicians. And so, in my opinion, and maybe it's, you're going to disagree. It's, it's, it's typically, I hear, I, I don't actually disagree. I, I don't disagree. You know, it's one of those things that when somebody says that, you just think of all the traumatic events and then you go, no, no, the, there's this thing called logic. That's not most people. <laughs> That's true. Well, there's always exceptions. Yes. But I can tell you as someone who was an, a full-time artist for some time and then a part-time artist working at a law firm and now a full-time manager. I 
can't count on too many hands the amount of major drama I've dealt with from the producers. And I've lost several years of my life from the drama from artists. <laughs> so there, there is that. that I'm going to, I'm going to own that. Yep. Yep. So, so I need to, I need to be a fanboy of the producer, but I guess the, the direct competition is thing number one. And I have a partner, Ross Roby. We're 50, 50 on, and we actually just brought another manager to our fold, Jonathan Rago. Good guy. We are, what'd you say? Sorry. I said, good guy. He's a great guy. Um, I, I just want to give both of them shout outs. I actually just talked to both of them just before this call. So shout outs to John Rago. Shout out to Ross Roby. I love you guys. So back to, back to this in regards to the producers, obviously I have to be a fan of their work. I, it's not as obvious the direct competition, but I Again, same with the artists, man. I want to vibe with them as a person because I talk to these people all the fucking time and I don't want to dread it. I really don't. Their life is so fucking short. I'm 36. I'm married. Mm. I have no time for middle school drama. I've been mm -hmm. out of middle school for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. I think that that's a that's a good way. To, was that to, a good ending? To, I think that was that, that, that an was, A plus ending. That was very 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 good closing. So so the last thing I'm going to do is do a little self promotion. Yes, which is this show in essence. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I, well, basically, I want to self promote you, which is not mm. self promote. Thank you very much, Jesse Cannon, for having me. I I interview people all the time, and you are a good at it. B, you actually listen. And see, you had me on. You I didn't have to. You, well, I appreciate you. You could have done anything with your day. And you are having me, and I'm not paying you. So thank you. <laughs> so that's thing number one. I guess self-promotion. Let's go down the list. Let, I was going to try to do it alphabetically in my head. Mm. So let me see. H-I-J-K. Okay, Adobe. I have a show called Waldman's Words. That is every Tuesday night five o'clock, which you will be on, which we will schedule. And by That's the way, cool. I'm going to be in New York soon. So we oh, have cool. to high five. We, we should but do that. hundred percent. One of the producers I manage self-promotion, Tim is in Brooklyn. And I think you are too. I Tim am. So there you go. Shout out to both of you. One unintentionally. So no, here I, Adobe, I have Waldman's words every Tuesday, five o'clock in the Pacific time region, eight o'clock in your Eastern time zone. Tuesdays it airs a new episode and then that reruns on Sundays at 5 a.m. Pacific if nice. you're crazy or just partying <laughs> or 8 p or 8 a.m. sorry that day too on Sundays so there's that you could tune into that on Adobe and then it goes up on their website shortly after and iTunes it's free podcast app I'm sure you know and love mm -hmm. you can do that and download all the episodes so there's Adobe. I guess let's keep going alphabetically. H I J K L Legend Recordings. I am senior A and R there, and I'm very very humbled. And again, I'll give shout outs to Chris and Kristen at that label for Chris having the label and Kristen for being my technical co senior A and R. Then we got Rolling Artists, which is Ross Roby and myself. We are managing partners of the company, and we just brought Jonathan Rago on to the fold. And he merged his roster with us. So, you know, we work, we're a full-service producer management company. So there's that. Thank you for having the competition on the air, Jesse. I appreciate it. Nice. And also, but you know what? We're, it's friendly competition mm -hmm. because I think you're really talented. Oh, and I do. Mm -hmm. I Honestly, if I didn't like your show or like your work, I would have said no thank you <laughs> anyway so um and walden management is my own personal artist management company 
with Boomtown Crooks, Film Speed, who just signed with Awfully Good Records, Jessica Coppins, who is on In Vogue Records. She was in a band called Mirror Eyes that changed its name to Floods, and now she's solo. And I have a rapper I've yet to announce and other clients potentially in the works. So that's my uh, four-tiered approach. And I also resurrected my project, Lido Beach, and we're headlining the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. So oh, maybe nice. we'll you, get, you, you, you let me know when that is, and we'll try to make it happen. That's five, blocks from, happen now. five <laughs> blocks from my apartment. So, uh, Are you in Williamsburg? I am. I heard that that's a very cheap part of New York City now. So, <laughs> I, um, so the, the Knitting Factory, three blocks away from the most expensive block in, the, in all of New York, yes. <laughs> Well, in all of Brooklyn. Brooklyn I mean, even though Williamsburg is more expensive than parts of Manhattan, Manhattan still. Apparently, the block the Whole Foods on is now the highest commercial rent in all of New York City. And I always call Brooklyn a Whole Foods now. Mm-hmm. I really do, because when I was growing up in high school, I'm 36, mm-hmm. my parents would say, do not go to Times Square because it's dangerous, mm-hmm. and do not go to Brooklyn because you will get knifed. And now... My mom would be like, you should move to Brooklyn. It's great. <laughs> uh, I, I always say it. Uh, I remember when there was a crack house uh, block from that Whole Foods when I first started coming here. So, Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess. 1999 was a different drop, time. 1999 is when I graduated high school. And 1999 is when I saw Jimmy at World at Coney Island High with At The Drive-In yeah. opening, which yeah. is my concert trump card. That, that, that's good. I, I, I worked at that club. You did? Yeah. Is it Was it Jesse's club? It, it was more that I was the sound man when they didn't want to pay anybody else real money because I was so young. That's fucked up, man. Yeah, well, um, that's, that's how you run, make a business work. Yep. Well, <laughs> I can tell you that on November 28th, if you want to come to the Knitting Factory, I can say this on air so yeah. someone could smite me. If this doesn't come true, I will not only guest list you, I will have a drink with you. Nice. Preferably whiskey because that will be good for my throat. Beer is not good for your throat, singers. It's not. You you, you do not lie about this. I I haven't lied once. And Mm -hmm. and one thing, and you actually haven't agreed with everything I said, and I like Mm -hmm. that. You're not a yes man. Neither am I. Fuck you. No. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that I appreciate that. And hopefully I will see you sometime that day or another day. I will literally be in New York City on November 28th. So we're going to make that happen. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.